Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking crimes against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly, none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. This week's story will be a short but oh-so-important one. It is an example of what a person can achieve in the face of tragedy. Mason Parker's life was as short as it was tragic. At just 16 months old, he was beaten to death in his own home by his mother's boyfriend of only a few months. This was a cruel and cowardly crime made even worse, that warning signs the toddler was being abused were ignored. Days before Mason was killed, staff at his childcare centre noticed suspicious bruising covering his body. They discussed it with his mother, but indespicably neither took further action that could have saved this little boy's life. This is Mason's story. Mason John Parker was born in December 2009 to mother Cindy Sanderman in Townsville, Queensland, Australia. Cindy was a busy single mother. She was working and studying, but extremely close to her parents, Sue and John Sanderman, grandparents who are more than happy to step in whenever Cindy needed help with their grandson. This all changed, though, in November 2010, when Cindy met boyfriend Troy William Reed online. Within two months of their meeting, Reed moved in with Cindy and her 13-month-old son, Mason. After this point, it would be Reed who would babysit the toddler whilst Cindy was at her job at an aged care facility. It wouldn't be long before Cindy would come home to mysterious bruises on Mason. Bruises that Reed would explain away at Mason falling when trying to climb up onto furniture or accidentally hitting himself with toys. He was walking towards my daughter's house and um, I looked at Mason and for some, for the life of me, I don't know why, but I said to myself, I said, am I sending you to your death? April 8th, 2011. A childcare worker at the centre Mason attended took photographs of Mason's injuries. Bruising that started in the small of his back and extended down to the back of his thighs. Instead of reporting the injuries to the Department of Children's Services, or DOCS as I'll refer to them in this story, the childcare worker instead just contacted Cindy and questioned what had happened. This would be the first of two phone calls from the concerned childcare centre regarding bruises to Mason's body. Cindy was speechless, and when she arrived home that night, she questioned Reed. He claimed Mason had slipped from his high chair onto a pop-up toy. And when I say high chair, it wasn't an actual high chair. It was actually a plastic child's booster seat that was sat atop an ordinary dining room chair. During the later criminal trial, a paediatrician would testify that this accident was not consistent with the injuries to Mason that the number and distribution of bruises Mason had must have been from multiple occurrences of abuse. It wasn't a simple singular accidental fall. Friday, April 15, 2011. 
Cindy would later report not seeing any injuries on Mason when she left for work that morning, leaving her 16-month-old baby in the care of her boyfriend. During that day, Reed called Cindy to inform her Mason had fallen off the bed and hit his head on the bedside table. Cindy worked late that night and returned home around 9pm. Mason was already asleep in his bed when she checked on him. He was breathing and appeared to be fine. However, she would later admit she did not see her baby's face, that she did not switch on the light as she didn't want to wake the sleeping baby. The following morning, Saturday, April 16, 2011, Cindy then saw grazes to Mason's face, but to her that checked out with what Reed said happened the day before, and she left for work at 12.30pm, again leaving her son with Reed. Later that afternoon, Reed called Cindy to tell her Mason was unwell, that he was knocked over by the family dog, that he had a couple of bruises already appearing on his stomach. What's he doing right now? Just tell me. He's, just, he's not responding. He's just very weak. He's turning blue. Okay. We're going to get somebody there as quick as we can, okay? Mason, what do I do? What do I do? Mason. Only minutes later, Reid would call triple zero, the phone number for Australian Emergency Services. Reid would tell the dispatcher that Mason had turned blue and he was unresponsive. Quote, I don't think he realised actually how close he was to the edge of the bed, and he's come down. He's come down and hit his head. I picked him up and he fell onto my chest. Unquote. When paramedics arrived at the home, Mason was already dead. Cindy would not see her son alive again. She would not see him again until she saw his dead body at the hospital that night. It was at this point Cindy allegedly saw fresh bruises, bruises that weren't there when she left for work that morning. When she would later ask Reid about them, he would claim he didn't know how the bruising happened. The medical examiner Dr Williams found, and where do I start? Honestly, these autopsy results do not get any easier the more I read them. But Mason's autopsy found bruising to the base of both lungs, the diaphragm, the adrenal gland, the large and small bowel. Mason's large bowel was also torn, which caused leakage of faeces and peritonitis into this baby's stomach. For these injuries to happen, significant force must have been applied to his abdomen, which caused bruising to the lungs. And for the bowel to be bruised and torn, this has to be the result of the organs being crushed against the spine, basically causing catastrophic injuries to most of Mason's vital internal organs. There were fractures on both the right and left of the back of Mason's head, with a six-and-a-half-inch long skull fracture extending from the left side of his head across the back of it to the right. This fracture was caused by severe trauma to the head, possibly from contact with a hard surface forcefully applied, which resulted in a subdural hemorrhage. There was a six-inch bruise inside Mason's scalp, overlying an area of skull fracture. Guys, I am struggling here accepting Mason's mother only saw grazes that morning and nothing the morning before. I'm not calling her a liar. I'm just really struggling here. I'm not even finished describing the injuries to this beautiful baby boy. Mason's body was covered by more than 50 distinct bruises, covering his back, both shoulders, his chest and left knee. This sweet baby boy's face had abrasions to his forehead, nose and left cheek. There were bruises to his forehead, right ear, right cheek and his chin. An optive nerve was bruised and the left side of his head was swollen. 
the medical examiner determined his cause of death was due to abdominal injuries. Even after Mason's death, Cindy refused to believe her partner could have been involved. Even after police told her they thought only two people could have been responsible, either Reed or Cindy or both, Cindy was in so much denial that three days after Mason's death, she accepted Reed's proposal of marriage. Reed proposing after being arrested and charged with the 16-month-old baby's murder. Troy, I um, need to ask you some questions in relation to the death of um, Mason Parker. Okay, which we are treating as a homicide. And then I um, went in and he wasn't normal. I um, picked him up and he fell onto my chest. So what, what do you do if he cracks the shits? Just you know, smack on the bum. Smack on the bum. Yeah, nothing hard. November 2013. Reed pleaded not guilty to assault occasioning bodily harm and murder. It didn't matter, though, because after a five-day trial, the jury found Troy William Reed guilty of the murder of his girlfriend's son, 16-month-old Mason Parker. Justice David North sentenced Reed to life imprisonment for the murder charge and 12 months for the assault. Reed must serve a minimum of 15 years before he will be considered for parole. He will be eligible for parole in 2028, when Mason should have been celebrating his 16th birthday. Justice North said Reed's actions were cruel and appalling. Quote, Behaviour such as that is appalling to all. The hurt and shame your family must feel should remind you of the consequences of your actions. Unquote. Jury members who remained in the court for the sentencing wept as Mason's grandmother Sue Senderman read her victim impact statement, tears streaming down her face when she spoke of her grandson's short life. She spoke of the nightmare they had been through and the lifetime of immense grief caused by the loss of Mason. Quote, it is like a hot knife stabbing into your heart. Mason loved sharing a burger with his pop, John, and John was very proud to show him off. We took these moments for granted, and now we realise they were special. It is a nightmare we now have to live with forever. Unquote. Reed's legal team launched an appeal against his conviction soon after the trial ended. August 2014. The Court of Appeal dismissed Reed's appeal, ruling the verdict was not unreasonable, nor had there been a substantial miscarriage of justice. John Sanderman was overjoyed with this decision, quote, No words can describe what I feel in this moment. I know it's never going to bring back Mason, but it's a step that people are starting to pay, unquote. So where are we now? Cindy Sanderman just wants to put her son's murder firmly behind her, her words, not mine, and focus on raising the two children she's had since with her new partner. Quote, I'm a good person and honest, and most importantly, a good mum. Unquote. Sue and John Sanderman have disowned their daughter. They believe it was Cindy that found their grandson by bringing Reed into their lives and entrusting him to care for Mason when they barely knew each other. Sue and John have devoted their lives to make sure what happened to Mason never happens to another child. A fight that has led to the introduction of Mason's law. At the time of Mason's death, there were three states in Australia where childcare workers are not mandatory reporters. They believe if Mason's childcare centre, who had noticed Mason's injuries, had reported them to authorities, their grandson would still be alive. 
Mason's law came into effect July 2017 and enforces mandatory reporting of injuries by childcare centres. But that isn't enough for Sue and John. They want Mason's law extended to Western Australia and Victoria, the last two states in Australia not to enforce mandatory reporting at childcare centres. Sue and John Senderman, you are truly an inspiration. So what's the goal? Keep going. We'll never stop. Never stop. There'll always be something that we can change to help little kids with their future. You've already saved lives. No, no, no. Mason has saved lives. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Mayu.